the Giants began the season 0-2, while the Saints were 0-3. Both have only lost once since. This Sunday, they go head-to-head at the Superdome. Touchdown! Coverage begins at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio. You cannot lose games in the NFL and still win. One day I understand. One day, go see the baby be born and come back. You're a Major League Baseball player. Did I not tell you? Yes, you did. Oh, see, don't answer. I mean, this are, these are rhetorical questions. Because you know I told you, and you know I'm not. Analytics don't work, work at all. Crap. It's just a no crap to some people who were really smart made up to try to get in the game because they had no talent. This kid is a gamer. He's a follower. He's a playmaker and a shot mother. In case you didn't know, I got T-Bowed. He shattered the mold. And all he does is win. All, all, all he does is win. Hello and welcome to Hot Takedown, 538's podcast about the week in sports narratives. I'm Chad McMatlin, an editor for 538. And with me in the studio, the mainstays, Kate Fagan, Neil Payne, Kate, ESPNW columnist. Hi, Kate. Hi, Chad. Neil Payne, 538 sports writer. Hi, Neil. Hey, Chad. How you guys doing? Good. Life is really good. Life is so good because the listeners are hearing us. Yep. From, it's not the great beyond. What is it? It's a form of time travel. Yeah. I think. From the future. From Montana. I'm on vacation in Montana as uh-huh. I speak to you, except yep. in New York as I speak to you. But we don't need to get I'm into in that. I'm in Texas. You're in Texas, right? Neil, where are you? Are you stuck I'm here in New again? York. <laughs> I'm still in New York. But listeners, that's good news because that means the return of stat school. Neil, run us through stat school. Since you are the stat man, the professor of stat school, long time listeners, short time listeners, actually, we, we did this a couple of months ago. Long-time listeners will remember that we've done one stat school already about batting uh, metrics and stats in, in the majors. What, what do we cover in that? So in that one, we talked about the evolution of how to evaluate hitters from batting average, which was deemed to be hopelessly antiquated, uh, to OPS, which stands for on-base plus slugging percentage, which is a step up, but still not as good as we could get and then finally uh to what we eventually what we said work plus is that how we're pronouncing and it? then a lot of people chimed in uh, how to actually pronounce it yeah right. and, and the consensus yeah. seemed to be work plus uh which stands for wrc plus which is a measure of how many runs a player creates weighted runs weighted even. yes weighted and and the plus means that it's adjusted for park and league factors and right now you can find that stat at fan graphs um where you can find most of the stats, in fact, all the stats we'll talk about today, too. So so the point of this is for Kate and I to understand. Get educated. Get educated. Edumacated. Yeah, that's one mm-hmm. way of putting it. Or rather to uh, increase our knowledge base. That's fair. And make sense of a very complicated world of advanced metrics and how they might be able to better inform our understanding and analysis of, of the games, of the sports that we, that, we, that we love to watch. And so Neil is Professor Statman. Kate and I are, are his willing pupils. Mm-hmm. Neil, what are we going to cover today? So today we're going to talk about pitching stats, and we're kind of going to go through the same evolution that we did uh, with hitting stats, where we're going to start by talking about the most basic level of stats and then kind of increase uh, the the difficulty, perhaps, but also... Don't the... spoil where we're going. Sure, just, sure. Just tell me what the, what the path is, you know? Mm-hmm. So the path is from uh, stats that measured how much the pitcher had the, the will to win mm. uh, to how much they actually stopped the other team from scoring, which is kind of the pitcher's job, to also ones that take into account that uh, how much control the pitchers have over things like hits when they give up a ball and play. Okay, and before we get into the actual stats, last time around with batting, we had a mule, mm-hmm. and he was Nolan Arenado, uh, the Rockies' third baseman, 
He transported all of our, our gear, even us sometimes when we were tired. We just didn't know if we could make it to the end of the lesson. He was our Sherpa. He, no, he was our mule. <laughs> or he, the Sherpa was on the mule, I suppose. Yeah. Sherpas ride mules? They drag mules. So that means someone else was Depends the Sherpa. Depends on the Sherpa, really. Yeah. Okay, fine. We've so, tortured this metaphor. Okay, good. So anyway, who is our mule and or Sherpa today? Yeah, so today we're going to focus on a guy named Drew Hutchison. He's a pitcher for the Toronto Blue Jays. In fact, he actually uh, got demoted to the minor leagues yesterday, so he's not currently on the Blue Jays. But uh, we're going to use him as an example of someone whose stats in the three categories we're covering are wildly different from each other, uh, and your opinion of him would be wildly different depending on which number that you looked at. Okay, so let's go to the intro. Kate, are you ready? Do you have pencil in hand? Mm-hmm. Video, well, video watchers, I have my don't see that, iPhone but... recorder on so that I can listen to this later. Ooh, like, like, before, like it's as a I MOOC. fall asleep. Yeah, we should do these yeah. MOOCs, guys. There's 538 New Revenue Stream. Distributed education around stats. Uh, okay, so our first pitching 101, basically, intro level course. Neil, what stat is it? So the most basic level upon which a pitcher could be evaluated and kind of sadly it was still very I mean among a certain portion of the of the fans and analysts out there it's still used somewhat commonly but much less so than it was even 10 years ago uh is a pitcher's win loss record mm-hmm. which assigns I've heard of it. yes you've heard of this one <laughs> you you might have remembered it um it assigns so, so Neil let me interrupt you there i feel like i still hear about 20 game winners as like a thing that pitchers are supposed to want to be that if you are a 20 game winner that means you're a really excellent pitcher but you're telling me that it's possible to be an excellent pitcher without being a 20-game winner. Yeah, the two things are not necessarily mutually exclusive. You can be a 20-game winner and be really good. You can also be a 20-win pitcher and not be as good as someone who only won you know, 12 games. Uh, and, and in recent years, there have been Cy Youngs that were given to pitchers that only won you know, uh, somewhere between 10 to 15 games, even if there were other guys that had more wins that in the past probably would have won the award. Well, I heard you sort of allude to this at the top when you said the will to win as if the part of the reason we ascribed the win-loss was that pitchers who just wanted it more somehow would end up with more wins. I think that belief in a lot of like young baseball fans, you still correlate the two. Like a win-loss record somehow measures like the grit of a pitcher. Yeah, I think that is that was the original intent of the stat, especially when you think about when they first started tracking it, which was in like the 1870s or perhaps even before for before Major League Baseball even started. Uh, pitchers were not really designed to ever leave the game when they once they started the game, unless they were pitching awful and they had to be taken out. But uh, typically, you you started the game and you pitched a complete game, and so the win really like belonged to you uh, in a certain sense like you were the pitcher of record in the game and and you got the the team result when what other stats came along i know after we'll go through at the time when win loss was the main one did they measure pitchers in any other way at that time yeah they kept track of how many runs he gave up and yeah we'll touch on that later and and they kept track of even like strikeouts and walks uh, especially as you move into the 20th century but there was still the sense that a 20-game winner, or in the case of Old Haas Radburn, a 50-game winner. Sorry, can we pause? Old Haas Radburn? Yeah, so there's a... a man's name was Old, Old Haas? Haas? Uh, well, is he that German? Was, that, was a, 
That was a nickname. Old house. So Old Hoss, uh, I guess, stood for a horse. His name was Charlie Radburn, uh, and he has the all-time single-season record for wins uh, in a year, uh, which and I his be- Wikipedia page is just brilliant. Then. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Uh, in 1884, he had 60 wins. Uh, against whoa, whoa. twelve <laughs> losses, uh, as, he had a as lot his, of will to win. How many Tommy John surgeries did he have? Uh, yeah, who knows? Now, uh, there's actually some discrepancies depending on which source that you look at. Sometimes they credit him with 59. I, I'm going to trust that Old Haas 62. has 62. It's fine. It's fine. But Old Haas definitely had a lot of wins okay. in 1984. So, so, but but part of the point is in the modern game. Obviously, pitchers don't finish what they start, but also the way we measure wins is based on whether they had the lead when they left the game, whether their team had the lead when they left the game. And so run support factors in pretty heavily to this. So you could have hard luck loser, hard luck uh, losers in, in, in the majors a lot because, let's say, I don't know, uh, a team has three great young huh. starters and yeah, not no offense. Hitting. Yeah, and so maybe, you that know... Wouldn't- Maybe those huh. young starters would just wouldn't have a lot of wins in their in their account. I don't know what team that we're yeah. talking about, Chad, right now. But <laughs> yeah, that's a metropolitan that's, uh, team, right? Yes, uh, that is kind of the biggest complaint about wins and losses and assigning them to the pitcher is that first of all, the pitcher is not the totality of the team, and that there is this whole other side where you have to actually score runs in order to win. And not every pitcher on the same team, much less across teams, gets the same level of run support uh, in terms of you know how many runs his offense scores for him when he starts games and that can have a huge impact on the quality of a pitcher's record that he has no control over whatsoever okay let's go to our mule sherpa. what does sherpa yeah is, is mule de- Isn't it offensive? I don't know. Yeah. seems a little offensive okay let's just go to sherpa let's go to our sherpa <laughs> what does our sherpa Drew Hutchison have to tell us about wins. Yeah, so Hutchison's record in the 2015 season is 12 and two, which well, is and he got demoted. Yeah. yeah, his will to win. Yeah, he has a great will to win, yeah. and he got that. That's that's awful. What what were the Blue Jays? Thinking? I know what were they thinking. Uh, so yeah, well, one of the things is that you know there's this idea that a pitcher can really imposes will to win by pitching to the score. So he would allow more runs in games in which his team has already scored runs because he doesn't. He's just trying to get outs. He's pitching to contact. He's you know trying to get out of the game as fast as possible and I don't know make a dinner date. I, I don't know what the <laughs> rationale is for that. But uh, there have been a lot of studies that show that basically that's just BS. That's not true. No pitcher has a consistent uh, you know pattern of pitching to the score. And so when you see Hutchinson, he's twelve and two, but he also has allowed a lot of runs, the type of runs that you would not expect his record to be 12 and 2. You would expect it to and actually be below 500. Part of the reason why it is 12 and mm-hmm. 2 is we talked about the Blue Jays, I think, one or two weeks ago uh, on, on the show, or at least earlier this month. And they have, they have a great offense, and the Brilliant run differential offense. is super high. And so, is, can you pull up his run support? Uh, is, that, is that in front of you? Yeah, so Hutchison, per nine innings, he is getting 7.7 runs of support, well, according to Fangraphs, by the Blue Jays' offense, which again is a fantastic. Fantastic hitting and offense. that's just a random thing, right? That that it's allowed How does that him to compare against wins. the other Blue Jays pitchers. Yeah, so he actually just luck wise getting a couple um, an extra run a game when he pitches. Yeah, I mean he is getting the Blue Jays themselves are averaging you know well into the fives of runs per game. So you know they're among the highest run scoring teams in baseball in general. But even compared to other pitchers on his same staff, he's getting a lot of runs. And then also if you look at some of the other guys that uh, you know are, are, are have worse records, you're 
your friend Bartolo Colon of the Mets, they only score the Mets only score three point seven runs per nine innings I'm when aware. he is pitching. So you can see how between the two pitchers, it's not really a fair comparison to look, especially since they have similar uh, rates of runs allowed, which we'll talk about later uh, per nine innings. That uh, the one loss record is almost totally dependent on, in addition to the guy's own pitching ability, on how many runs his team scores for him. Okay, Kate, are you feeling good with the basics? I'm feeling good. I feel good about okay. this win-loss. Okay, so, Statman, stat <laughs> I think if you feel comfortable giving us the certificate and the stamp of approval, we're ready for phase two. Yeah, I'll rubber stamp you into the second phase. Okay, great. Second phase, what is it? So uh, the second stat we're going to talk about uh, is earned run average or heard of it. ERA. Good. Again, I'm. I bet both of you have heard of it, and uh, that's something where it's a little bit different than what we did in the batting uh, segment of. Uh, stat school where we talked about OPS, which was something that really no one had tried to add on base and slugging percentage together uh, until maybe like the 40s or the 50s or maybe even later than that. Uh, whereas earn run average was around pretty soon in the evolution of baseball. Uh, I don't know if it came around exactly when the concept of assigning starters wins and losses came around in the 1870s, but uh, the concept of, well, we recognize in wins and losses that it's kind of flawed. There's this run support issue. A pitcher's job is to not give up runs, not necessarily not give up runs, plus have his offense score a lot of runs behind him. Uh, and so a measure that was more gradually accepted uh, as kind of the true quality of a pitcher is ERA. Uh, and you really still you still see that referenced as being almost like the primary metric or gauge of, of how a pitcher is performing. So when I was a kid- I could have told you pitchers ERAs right off the top of my head. It felt like a really understandable number, though I still remember there was there's some formula where you have to add up the add up to 32 and divide by nine or something. Am I, am I making? Yeah, this up? well, because it's runs per nine innings. Uh, yeah, sure, Real, <laughs> sure. But the point is that I remember thinking it was really radical that a pitcher's ERA was different than just the average number of runs that he allowed while he was pitching, and that as an eight year old was really thrilling. But I understand now why you standardize it to nine innings, whatever. That still seems like a pretty comfortable metric to me, me the 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 dope uh, sports analytics podcast host. Yeah, I mean, compared to wins and losses, I mm-hmm. think the the leap to actually looking at how well the pitcher is conceivably doing his job is a huge leap, uh, and and you get so much more about a pitcher from knowing just how many runs he allows than you do just by looking at how well the team performed when he was the starter of record. If I could make an observation, though. Sure. When we did stat school last time, the metrics for hitters seemed like really, really advanced. Even in phase two, we were ta- we were dissecting a lot of different things and like nuances that they're trying to um, apply. Is it that the pitching metrics, right, like in the beginning and, and that we're still sort of trying to understand how to even gauge a, a pitcher? Yeah, I think it says something about the evolution of pitching stats in general that they, for the longest time, if you knew a pitcher's one-loss record, but especially if you knew his ERA, then you basically 
knew what there was to know about him. And uh, it was acknowledged also that pitchers were, they seemed really random from year to year that like, well, you know, you might have a pitcher have like a 2.5 ERA one year, but then it would balloon to like 3.9 the next year. And it was you know, kind of like a collective shrug of like, yeah, what are you going to do? Pitchers are crazy. You know, uh, Bill James, when he was doing projections and he was doing this in the baseball abstracts of like the 1980s, he wouldn't even project pitcher performance. So he had like this uh, crazy levels of like advanced systems to project. Bill James, hitters. we should say, is the sort of the godfather, the godfather of, of sabermetrics. Yeah. He's yeah. the Ken of baseball yeah. Ken Palm is the hymn of college basketball <laughs> but uh, yeah so but when it came to pitchers the guy who basically invented sabermetrics just kind of like threw up his hands and was like well you know they're crazy there's nothing that you really need to know about them beyond their ERA and that's kind of where we'll leave it well when things are like rudimentary I guess and if it's all it's about dollars for pitchers and they know that they're being judged on these statistics that maybe aren't capturing everything are they pitch do you think that there was any instance of like pitching differently because you'll see like in basketball sometimes guys won't want to take end of quarter shots right. because it affects their, their shooting shooting percentage. percentage and like all of these stats matter in baseball was it like well giving up a run would impact era versus like giving up a hit didn't matter i mean i guess it's like it's hard to actually know how what pitchers were thinking but if you can get at my question. There, yeah, no, I mean, I think that because one of the benefits of ERA is that, like, your job ultimately is to prevent runs from scoring. So, like, the team's interest is aligned with your interest as a as a player. So uh, you're not going to run into those cases where, like, there's a moral hazard, uh, you know, uh, involved with, like, the player trying to be selfish. But you do run into, I mean, there's that word earned in earned run average, and there's a very convoluted system for determining what runs are actually earned in which the scorekeeper, first of all, makes a decision of uh, about errors. Errors are, are fielding mistakes. And, and when baseball was in its infancy, the, the players would wear very, you know, if they wore gloves at all, they wore very rudimentary gloves and errors happened all the time. And so they had this sense of fairness where they were saying the pitcher shouldn't be held accountable if there's an error made behind him and errors are getting made all the time uh, in the game the way it was played back then. So we need to find a way to sort of uh, not blame the pitcher for the runs that were allowed as a result of errors. And what they did was they would, the scorekeeper, first of all, would decide whether a play could have been made with like a normal effort by a fielder. And if not, then it should have, you know, it counts against the pitcher. But if it could have been made with a normal effort, then it counts as an error. And then you say, okay, well, uh, as the inning progresses after this, there's a base runner who's on, but he shouldn't have been on uh, otherwise, but uh, if this fielder hadn't made this error. So the scorekeeper had to actually reconstruct the inning as though uh, there was no error. So you basically treat that error as an out, and then once you get out of the inning, even if, you're, even if you allow runs after the, what would have been the third out in this other alternate universe, then like, those don't count against you because they're unearned runs. And it's a very strange, like, mm -hmm. hypothetical alternate universe approach. So what stats these two stat schools have taught me, and listeners, if you haven't heard our, our first stat school episode, go back into the hot takedown archives and, and, and take a listen, is that just how beholden and stuck in the mud baseball still is because of 
a version of the game that just is not played anymore. Um, we talked about that with plate appearances versus versus at bats, mm-hmm. and how it was well before all of the sorts of strategy around intentional walks and and, and whatever else, um, and sacrifices and 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 modern tricks of the game. And now we're hearing again, Neil. What I'm hearing from you is that you know something as core, what feels as core as earned run average, is still tainted a little bit by. I mean, tainted maybe not be the right verb, but but it's just it's still it's stuck. Influenced. Yeah, it's influenced by this version of baseball that is no longer. And now we have you know Statcast with with right. trails flying across. With yeah, people. and uh, like if you look at the numbers in the 19th century, even as late as like the 1890s, there were like three to four errors being committed per game in Major League it's Baseball. It's like double A ball, which is amazing. Like you you can't see like little league games yeah. with that many errors sometimes. Uh, and now there's about uh, six tenths of of an error hmm. committed per game in Major League Baseball, and that's been steadily declining as the years have gone on because you know the equipment is better uh the the fielders are better and so there's this conception of the game that really like you said no longer applies but it still seeps into stats that we use all the time without even thinking about. do you think they should do you think that they should remove the earned part yeah i mean i know there are stats that do that Right, and there's been a push by sabermetricians, like once they've kind of sat down and thought about it and said, this is weird that we're doing this earned thing, and it's kind of the scorekeeper's decision as to whether the guy should be penalized or not, that we should really just go run average, and we should say how many runs did the guy allow per nine innings and not worry about the arbitrariness of, you know, was it earned or not. Okay, let's get to our Sherpa who's been waiting in the wings at that, at that second ledge on the, on, the, on the mountain that is stat school. What does he have to tell us about earned run average? Yeah, so Drew Hutchison, like I had said uh, when we were talking about his win-loss record, which was a stellar 12-2, and two, he, based on his runs allowed, and in this case specifically his earned run average, he really did not deserve that record. He has a 5.06 earned run Woo! average, which is very high. In fact, it's 25% higher than the league average. So he should have actually probably been well below 500 uh, in his Send him to the minors, that guy. That's right. Save for his the majors. Yeah, and I think, yeah, uh, it, it kind of represents progress that, that the Blue Jays would say – Oh well, you know this guy is clearly not deserving of this twelve and two record, and we're going to judge him with you know kind of a more uh, coldly analytical approach, and not think about does he have the will to win these games and say oh it's just run support. But at the same time, I think we'll talk about later that even the five point oh six ERA doesn't give you perhaps the full picture of how well he's pitched. Well, you were saying earlier about how well he's getting so much run support and he's giving up a lot of runs and. You know, some people will defend him by saying that if you if you have a lot of runs on the board, then maybe you're not as you're pitching to the score. you're pitching to the score. I mean, you do see that with teams in a lot of different sports when you are ahead, just human tendency to let up a little bit. I, I think I, I guess I'm wondering, is there any space for that? Like, if he is getting a lot of run support, maybe part of it is a, an element of like focus or playing with a lead. Yeah, I think uh, so in the NBA, uh, like you're alluding to, there is a demonstrable effect where teams that are up tend to underplay relative to how you would expect them to play, uh, depending on how big the lead is. And then once it shrinks down and it kind of becomes more, you know, like they have to start 
flipping on the switch again than they they play to their talent level. So in a sport like basketball, that's been shown. But I think in baseball, uh, to the extent that such a, an effect actually exists, that it just gets dwarfed by how much randomness. And we and we talked about how you know pitchers are very inconsistent, and uh, we'll talk about this a little bit more later about just how little control the pitchers actually have over you know how many runs they allow how many hits they allow things like that where i'm sure if you were able to break it down at like the most granular level you would actually see some effect like that but uh, i think for all intents and purposes the studies that have shown like there really isn't uh, effectively isn't a pitching to the score effect have just said like if there is it's so small compared to the randomness of pitching in general that we can't even detect it so we may as well just treat it like it does doesn't exist. I understand, Statman. Okay. So, just for the final open book exam. Rubber stamp of approval. Hutchison. Great in wins. Great record. Awful in ERA. Bad ERA. Doesn't deserve to be in the minors. Does deserve to be in the minors. Look at that. Kate. Kate's on it. Give her that stamp of I approval. I want it. That's right. Gold star. Get down to the minors. All right. Here's the biggest haul. Statman. To the pinnacle. Yes. Stage... Three. I need some trail mix. Some gorp. Gorp. What is the stat? So the third stat that we wanted to talk about was, uh, it's really kind of a family of stats, but the most prominent. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, family yeah, it's really a Hiking with a the lovely fam. Little, uh, Nuclear yeah, family. We're hiking yeah. to the top of the mountain with his family. And uh, it's called Fielding Independent Pitching, or FIP. FIP, uh, and you'll see that on, we mentioned Fangraphs, uh, which we go to a lot uh, when we're looking up baseball stats, and you can find that stat there. Uh, and it's, uh, it stands for Fielding Independent Pitching, which uh, sort of is the next evolution, and it's an evolution that really only happened in the last 14 or so years of taking ERA, but then also saying, well, how much of that is the pitcher himself and how much of that is the defense behind him? And can we actually parse those out? And going to what the, the Bill James you know, theory from the 80s and even into the 90s was, we can't really parse that out or that's a problem to be left to future generations and it's not something that you know, we're equipped to deal with right now. But the breakthrough happened in uh, like 2000 or 2001 when a guy uh, named Voros McCracken who was uh, like a paralegal, I think. Did, did he know Old Haas? Yeah, he may have known Old Haas. Descendant. Uh, yeah, he he uh, probably was not as fond or impressed with Old Haas's record uh, as, as people in the 1880s were because he, uh, I think it was like a fantasy baseball player who's trying to figure out like he noticed that Pedro Martinez one year had an amazing earned run average uh, and also ha really was good at like suppressing hits. Like people didn't have a good batting average off him. And then the very next year, uh, when you took away uh, you know home runs and you only looked at the balls that were put in play against Pedro, even though he still had a great uh, earned run average because he was striking people out, he wasn't walking anyone. He had one of the worst batting averages allowed on those balls in play, and and. The guy looked at, like, Greg Maddox, also found years in which, like, he was either really great, but then the next year he was really bad at this one stat, and there didn't seem to be any rhyme or reason. Like, the same pitchers weren't good at it from year to year. Pitchers that you think of as being, like, Hall of Famers, all-time legends, weren't consistently good at this. And he, he was like, what is going on here? It doesn't make any sense, and I'm trying to predict, uh, you know, how well these pitchers will do for my fantasy league or whatever. So he started digging into it, and looked at the historical numbers, and he 
he came to this bizarre conclusion that basically once a pitcher puts a ball in play or, or has the ball put in play against him, and that means you know doesn't strike the guy out, doesn't walk him, and doesn't give up a home run, that uh, he has no control over whether it falls in for a hit or not. Which was mind blowing. You want to talk about mind blowing? That, uh, like at the time, uh, the thought that you know there was this idea that pitchers who were really good, like Pedro, could induce weak contact mm-hmm. on balls that got put in play against them, in addition to the great performance on balls that weren't in play. Uh, and and this guy McCracken, who was just an amateur, you know, wh- he he his first article about this was published at Baseball Prospectus, but before that, he was kind of an unknown. Uh, and even Bill James was like looking back after reading this article said i can't believe we didn't see this a decade ago do like, you know where you are were when you read this article <laughs> uh, i don't the believe... way you speak of it it's sort of like that that kind of I, moment i think i was of the generation that kind of came after that but i bet our editor-in-chief nate silver could absolutely tell you where, where he, he was, was when he read it because he was writing for baseball prospectus at the same time and it was this i i kid you not it was a watershed moment for baseball analysis okay so so fielding, what what goes into fielding independent pitching? Then is it the what I hear some people sometimes say the three true outcomes? Yeah, exactly. Strikeouts, home runs, and walks. Yeah, when you just look at FIP as as constructed at uh, Fangraphs, you, so there are different ways to construct FIP. Uh, there's different I, ways to construct defense independent pitching stats, and okay. that's what dips is what. Mm. Um, yeah, no, dips. Dips. And FIP. FIP. Uh, dips is the class of stats, and uh, Voros McCracken himself kind of came up with that stat. And the original version of it had, you know, like various different weights for things like you know contact rates and and things like that. But uh, FIP was invented by a guy who pseudonymically goes by uh, Tango Tiger or Tom Tango, and he sort of simplified it and was like, maybe "What's he knows the simplest?" Yeah, maybe he does. Uh, the simplest form of uh, that we can kind of use to represent a player's uh, a pitcher's performance that doesn't involve the fielders just looks at home runs and walks and also hit by pitch. So this then would, it, would, would would incentivize pitchers who can strike a lot of guy, a lot of guys out. Sorry, not incentivize, but it would it would treat pitchers pitchers high who pitchers don't let well. the ball go into play. Right. Uh, or yeah, who let the ball go into play and have great defenses in a good them. way. Uh, well, no, you're not going to get credit for the defense. Way. No, so that's the whole point is it takes away all of the, the things that a pitcher's interacted or involved in that in any way, shape, or form the defense has control over. So, you know, a, a double into the gap or a, a ground ball out. All of those things, they uh, FIP treats it like it never happened as far as the pitcher's concerned. Uh, the, the whole credit for that goes entirely to the defense behind him whether they turn it into an out or whether it falls in for a hit is the responsibility of the defense the only thing a pitcher can control under FIP is did he give up a home run did he walk a guy or did he strike a guy out so you're incentivized not necessarily to not put the ball in play because two of the three things that involve not putting the ball in play are actually bad for you right. the home runs and the, and the walks but uh, you are it definitely like hones in on strikeouts versus walks do you control the play Mm-hmm. Because th- those are the things that tend to be persistent across time for pitchers that they actually do show control over. Okay, two questions. One, at some point in this podcast, we interviewed a guy from Baseball Prospectus, and we right. talked about deserved 
runs allowed, which is similar but a little different. Do you do you remember? So so how is that different than than FIP? So that's one of those stats that uh, sort of takes it to an even greater level uh, within. There's the, a phase four. Yeah, this might be the phase four of this stat, but no, the, I only brought enough trail. I know, right? <laughs> For three, three phases. <laughs> we won't go to phase four necessarily yet, but uh, just to kind of talk about that DRA stat and some of the other ones that you'll hear like Sierra which stands for skills independent ERA those numbers take the concepts of fit but then they also say well some pitchers do show some ability to control if you start looking at like do they give up a lot of line drives those types mm-hmm. of pitchers exit velocity is something we've written about at 538 velocity, some exactly. pitchers can make the ball come slower off a bat right. and we know that fast off the bat yields more uh, base hits. Right, and with more granularity of data, when when Voros McCracken was looking at this, he all he had was the basic like back of the baseball card stats. Now we have a uh, you know more stats. We have pitch FX. We have things like that where you actually can dig down deeper. And it turns out that the idea that pitchers have no control over balls, uh, the outcomes of balls in play against them, is not totally true. It's true uh, in in the vast majority of cases uh knuckleballers for instance can consistently induce weak contact and they allow lower batting averages on balls in play and uh, you know there are other things like fip includes home runs but it doesn't uh, there's a skill aspect in that but there's also a luck aspect where you really want to be measuring does a guy give up hard contact does he give up mm-hmm. a lot of fly balls mm-hmm. and so uh, something like dra takes you know a rate of uh, fly balls allowed by a pitcher and says we we recognize that the number of home runs per fly ball that you give up is also kind of a matter of luck. So we will make an adjustment to mm-hmm. your FIP for okay. that. Okay, so that answers both my questions, actually. Let's get to our Sherpa. Mm-hmm. Is the Sherpa escorting old Haas maybe up the mountain? And the, Are we right? riding and the old Haas? Tiger or the That's tiger? Right. Oh, tiger. you got to watch out tiger. for some tigers on that mountain. I yeah. know, careful. So, okay, so Hutchison, good in wins, bad in ERA. That's right. What let's let's predict then? Yeah, can Chad and I guess. Love it. Please do. What his, so actually, actually, can we hear how many like where he is strikeout wise compared to the league? Do you and have also that? I, guess in I, hand? I haven't yet gathered what that number even would look like. Yeah, right. So yeah, what's a league average FIP? So FIP is actually structured to be on the same scale as earned run average. Okay. So the league average and earned run average, which is typically around you know like four uh, lower than that in in recent years. Uh, that is the same league average by definition because they kind of scale it that way at Fangraphs where they add a constant onto it to make okay, it Okay, so to up. me, a low three, high two ERA is really good. Right. It's good. And so... And there's a consistency between FIP and ER, right. e- ERA. Right. So, so, so we I, said the Hutchison's ERA was... five. It's like 5.1. Yeah. Okay. So he has a bad ERA, therefore, like, statistically, I would assume he had a bad FIP after listening Unless to he's a high feature. strikeout pitcher. Right, but and so he's got, but the win loss were thrown out because we've already doesn't said matter. doesn't matter. Will doesn't doesn't count. With doesn't FIP. count. This is will independent pitcher. But I would think if his FIP was really good, he wouldn't be in the minors right now. So I'm gonna use that mm-hmm, piece of mm-hmm. info that I have. I bet his FIP is five point three. Higher than his ERA. Higher than his yeah. ERA. Ooh, I. It's hard to know without the number of strikeouts. I right. think. If we had so all the, the Blue data, Jays, could, right? So you the Blue, just compute. Yeah. Blue Jays play in a park that's pretty big, if I remember correctly. <laughs> the, don't they let the turf grow or something so the ball's slow or is this in the infield in or something? Or I'm going to say lower than a ZRA. Right? I'm going to say a 4.6 FIP. Okay, so Hutchison's actual FIP 
uh, keeping in mind that, yeah, right, uh, that the league average is somewhere around like three and a half or four. uh, In this case, probably in his park, it would be exactly four. Do they have, is is one of the FIP family something that takes in ballpark effect? That's right, yeah. Is Um, that FIP plus or XFIP or XFIP plus? FIP minus. Come on. Stop it. But we'll talk about that in a second. So uh, his Hutchison's FIP is 3.96. What? That guy's great. Bring him back from Where the minors. Twelve. He's twelve and two. Twelve and two with a three point nine fib. Uh, and can and we trade him to the Mets? That's right. Well, the, yeah. Uh, so, the, talking about the the comparison to the league average, we talked about work plus. It was plus because it adjusted for park and league, and a, a higher score was better, and it was centered around one hundred. One hundred was the league average. Well, at Fangraphs, they have uh, the FIP equivalent of that is not FIP plus. It's actually FIP minus because it's better to allow fewer runs. So mm-hmm. so they've scaled it so that like the, the offensive stat, you, you score more runs, so it's better to have a higher work plus. But in the case of FIP minus, it's better to have a lower one. And in the case of Hutchison, he has a 98 FIP minus. So he's allowing so 2% better than league fewer average. runs than the league average given his park and, and the league that he faced off against. So I think you could make the case that you know, Hutchison, if given enough time, that 5.06 ERA, which is driven because he's allowing a hit on 34% of the balls that That's are put good. in play against him, and the league average is 30%, that eventually, if so given enough unlucky. time, Despite he's Despite being unlucky, lucky in wins, he's unlucky exactly. in... Hits exactly, and that's why Balls his put in player turning in hits more frequently than the exactly. league average, and that's means, why his fit minus is. But he doesn't control that. No, mostly it's a combination of luck uh, and and the quality of the defense behind him, and the quality of the defense can really change depending on you know who's starting even on the same team because sometimes the balls are hit in positions where you know the the fielders much range or something or the the fielders are just right there they've been shifted correctly there's just a wide variance over what kind of defensive support in addition to we talked about run support this sort of tries to take into account defensive support uh, and, and it can really change for pitchers and really distort their era even if they're pitching at the same level of quality okay keep your head up drew so that's right. So some so really good pitchers are probably going to be really good in all three. Yeah, I think that's uh, really bad that's pitchers about are correct. are maybe going to be really bad in all three, maybe not. Yeah, especially like given enough time, uh, you would expect your ERA to match your FIP, and you would expect your win loss record to be sort of suggestive mm-hmm. of what those other two should be. But the also. problem is that we're dealing with 162 game seasons, and so yeah, and you really only sample. get thirty ish. Starts so, but are are players' career FIPs and ERAs often match? Yeah, and in fact, uh, there's a there's a certain point where in the short term it's probably better to look at FIP if you want to know how good a guy is, uh, especially how well he'll pitch. Yeah, how good he's been this season and how well he'll pitch in the future. Uh, you want to look at FIP instead of ERA in in the short term because it's naturally going to be subject to less variance. There's less noise being poured into it. The defense is not tainting it, so you're getting a Liquid better noise. picture of how good mm, noise. right uh, how good a pitcher is. But then uh, after you know five years or especially after a whole career, you will see the pitchers that do have some ability to suppress balls in play or hits on balls in play, like a Greg Maddox who allowed a below. 300 batting he was also a fabulous fielder oh he's a fantastic fielder yeah so how do you take into account his own his own fielding and fip well in in 
there we have to talk about a stat that is oh, beyond the scope, oh. and it's called wins X-plus. above replacement. Play him out, Jody. Play him out. <laughs> but uh, we'll talk about that next time. Uh, yeah, so that really is instructive of kind of the differences and what goes into the difference if you have a win-loss record that's not borne out by your earned run average, and then also if your FIP doesn't line up particularly with your ERA. Okay. I feel like I learned something. Kate, did you, you feeling good? I feel really good. Okay. I feel better than I did after the, at the end of the batting. No. That's the, cool. At, if, I hope Neil can't hear me. At the end of the, bat, the batting <laughs> when I was slightly still confused because it was so intricate. Mm-hmm. Some of like the, the work plus. Mm-hmm. I had it, but... You know, the, this pitching stuff I feel really good wow. about. So this might be the first audience that actually kind of had a better time understanding the FIP, uh, the, <laughs> the, the wins and losses to ERA to FIP transition than the average to OPS to work plus. It's because it's of the forefathers, the Old Haas, Voros, Team Tiger. and Tango, Tango Tiger. Tiger. They are, uh, and Team now Statman, Neil, you've Stat. ascended into their That's ranks. Right. We, uh, we've summited. Okay, let's leave it there until the next stat school, which maybe won't be on baseball. Maybe it'll be on another sport. Uh, thanks to Kate Fagan, as always. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Chad. Neil Payne, the stat, Neil Statman Payne. Dun, 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 Excuse dun. me. Thank you, Chad. Uh, thanks to our Sherpa. Drew Hutchison. Drew Hutchison. Thank you. Um, our podcast producer is Jody Avergan. He has his own podcast called What's the Point? You can find on iTunes. It's conversations around data and how it's affecting our lives. Our video producer is Ryan Antel. We get production assistance from Jordan Shulkin. You can email us at podcasts at 538.com. We'd love to hear what you think. You can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Downcast, all sorts of other apps. We're also on iTunes. You can subscribe at iTunes.com slash 538. While you're there, be sure to be sure to review and rate the show. It helps others discover the program. Our theme song is by Mystery Mansion. I'm Chadwick Matlin. Thanks for listening. Superdome. Touchdown! Coverage begins at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio.